we talk about diversity all the time. Having this diversity of thought, diversity of training, diversity of perspectives, that breeds innovation. And so we are able to tackle problems from different angles. Welcome to Growing Impact, a podcast by the Institutes of Energy and the Environment at Penn State. Growing Impact explores cutting-edge projects of researchers and scientists who are solving some of the world's most challenging energy and environmental issues. Each project has been funded through an innovative seed grant program that's facilitated through IEE. I'm your host, Kevin Sliman. On this episode of Growing Impact, I speak with a group of researchers who are working on One Health, which is a transdisciplinary method of recognizing the interconnection among people, animals, the environment, and health. The team shares how collaborating through an expansive theme such as One Health can provide new ideas, strategies, and answers for a wide variety of challenges. Today on Growing Impact, we have a team of researchers who are working on One Health. I'm actually going to have each of them introduce themselves and their area of expertise. Go ahead, Leanne. I am Leanne Andrews. I'm a landscape architect and I work in the realm of the environment with health. My name is Justin Brown. I'm a veterinarian uh, that works in the Department of Veterinary Biomedical Science at Penn State. Uh, And my area of expertise is in uh, veterinary medicine and specifically wildlife health. I'm Sona Jasani. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of OBGYN, um, and I work in human health. Hi, I'm Stephen Mainzer. I work in the Department of Landscape Architecture, and my interests are in the decision dynamics of coupled political and environmental sentiment. Let's start with talking about One Health. Could you describe One Health? One Health um, is an approach that is transdisciplinary. This is Sona Jasani. And it recognizes that the health of humans and the health of the ecosystem, as well as animals, are intricately connected. And so what affects one of the um, component of the health triad will affect the other component. Um, And there are various organizations that... um, you know, seem to endorse this concept. So it's not necessarily a new one or um, revolutionary. Um, some uh, organizations like the CDC, the USDA, the American Medical Association and American Veterinary Medical Association endorse the concept of One Health. Um, the way that I like to think about it is that it's a framework to um, approach problems. And so it's really, um, the foundation of it is based on um collaboration and being transdisciplinary so that you have different disciplines looking at complex issues um, to really think about it in a holistic fashion. So could could you provide some examples of One Health, maybe where they show up in the world today or in research? Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the sort of poignant examples for me um, is um, illustrated by the CDC. So in 2010, um, in northern Nigeria, um, the um, folks there sort of started noticing that the ducks apparently just began to disappear and no one really knew what was happening. Um, And then a few months later, um, there were hundreds of children that were actually affected with lead poisoning. And so what researchers in that area found was that um, what had happened to the duck population was lead poisoning. And they found out that um, the ducks were actually a sentinel um, indicator for you know what could happen to the human population. So I think that's a really poignant example um, as to how and why One Health is really important. You know, if you're just only thinking about human health as affecting humans and not really looking at other indicators, you're probably not going to um, you know pick up on some of these um, issues that may be affecting certain aspects um, of the triad um, that you could be a little bit more proactive in. Why is it important to look at the world through the lens of One Health? The concept of One Health is, is quite old. This is Justin Brown. 
um, but the term uh, that we're using of One Health is is relatively new. Um, but there's an increasing recognition of how important this old concept is. And, and part of the reason is when you look at how much has changed globally over the last 30 years, as you said, it's, it's very complex, our, our world, but it's also very dynamic. And so if you look for humans, how much our population is changing, how we interact socially, uh, where we get our food, where we live, all of that has changed. You know, And if we look at animals, how we farm has changed, how we, the pets we keep, you know, we have a lot more exotic animals than we did 30 years ago, how we move animal products, all of that is changing. And certainly the environment's no, no different as well. If we look at land use or climate change. And so as all those things are changing, and it's really dynamic. It, it's changing sort of the math of how animals, humans, and the environment interact. And, and probably not surprisingly, we are seeing increasing uh, emerging diseases. That's one example. You know, Sona talked a lot about non-infectious diseases, and that makes sense from a One Health concept because animals, humans, we're, we're all sort of exposed in those same environments. So if if there's a contaminant, then we're probably going to see issues in, in animals like we do humans. And from an infectious standpoint, we're having increasing emerging infectious diseases. Um, SARS, the original SARS is one example, but certainly some of the influenza viruses, Ebola, and a lot of these emerging diseases we're seeing in humans have an origin in, in animals, particularly wildlife. And so I think all of these things are having an increasing recognition that if we want to be effective, not only in responding, but hopefully preventing some of these diseases, we have to take more of a holistic approach. You know, I can't deal with rabies in wildlife without considering what are the human impacts. You know, Sona can't deal with some of these diseases that may have an origin in animals without considering what happens on, on that side of the disease ecology. Bringing up that dynamic aspect, I think it's extremely important uh, viewpoint to be thinking about. Are there proponents of or suggestions that maybe we need to scale back? In other words, you know what I mean? And is, as one of the, instead of trying to address the, 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 the problems that are emerging from all of these dynamic and complex aspects of the world, are there folks that are like, hey, if we just look at the root of these things, like it's getting more complex, should we simplify? I am actually interested in talking about this. Here's Sona again. I think that this is one of the, um, maybe a misconception of One Health. Um, you know, it seems so overwhelming to sort of think about, you know, how do you have all these different disciplines working together to solve a complex health issue? Um, but what's interesting about the history of One Health is that it's not new. And we see evidence of One Health dating all the way back to Hippocrates and then Aristotle. And 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 so we, we understand, you know, throughout the history of time, right, that you know, that this is just sort of common sense, right? If your environment that you're living in is sick, then, you know, there's a higher rate of, you know, the populations of creatures that are living in that environment are going to be sick as well. And so, you know, if you can whittle down one health in whatever concept you're using or whatever problem you're using to um, solve, um, by using that One Health um, framework, you know, I think that you have to have it in these comprehensible um, uh sort of components, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe, you know, for the problem that you're looking at, you're looking specifically at collaboration and you're trying to find how to create a system between, you know, public health and researchers and, you know, academia, and you're trying to figure out how to, how to break those barriers, right? That's one health, right? And that's very 
doable and it's um, there's objective measures, right, that you, that you can do. And, you know, maybe the problem that you're looking at is more um, topic based, right, where you're trying to think of, you know, why did a certain, you know, infection jump from animal to human and, and then you can break it down in that sort of comprehensible um, topic. So I think One Health doesn't always do everything all at the same time. Um, I think that if you are very smart in terms of how you're using One Health um, and deliberate um, probably is a better choice of word, mm-hmm. um, then you're actually going to be really effective in, in what you're trying to solve. Yeah. And uh, building off of that, this is Leanne Andrews. It you know, and also building off of what Justin said too, is that there's a large value in thinking about things in a preventive way. And One Health helps us all think about things together um, around this concept um, and address some of the health issues that might appear further downstream. So I, I work in the environmental realm of the triad, the human animal environment triad. And we know both in in the animal sciences and in the human sciences that the environment is a determinant of health. And so if you know we're experiencing all kinds of rapid changes in our environment all around the world, including you know rapid urbanization where humans are expanding their footprint and crashing into more as a lack of a better word, into the habitats of animals. And so that close proximity, um, uh, has a lot of influence with both on, on the human and the animal side. It also has a big impact on, on the changes in the environment as well. So plant communities are changing and weather patterns are changing and streams are changing and it's all inter- interconnected. And if we can start to understand these systems and we can understand what are the cautionary tales that we get through examining animal health or examining human health or environmental health, uh, maybe we can prevent some of the... Um, uh, diseases or present some of the health issues even before they even happen. And then we don't have to have this giant army of uh, people trying to address these issues on the other side. And Kevin, one one other thing. Here's Justin again. I'm a wildlife veterinarian by mm-hmm. training. And, and you know, as, as these disease issues come up and they're really complex, um, we often, if we stay within our little group, the solutions seem really simple. Uh, you know, so if we take lead for an example and I say, well, all we have to do is get rid of, you know, lead ballistics or, or, or whatever the solution might be, it seems really simple. But then when you realize it, how interconnected these disease issues are, they become really complex. And so we can have these easy solutions if we stay in our groups, but they're not going to be effective, right? Because we right. To bring in these other groups. So even though it's inherently makes it much more complicated and as sometimes insurmountable, I think it really gets at the, the actual solutions rather than these sort of abstract, well, all we have to do is do this or stop this activity. And, and, and a lot of times that's just not possible or not even a good idea. And so I think, you know, even though One Health tends to make things complicated, it's actually going towards the true solutions rather than sort of band-aids on, on larger issues. What are some of the One Health socio-environmental factors in Pennsylvania that your project, project is investigating? So I'm, I'm quite new to the, the One Health idea. This is Stephen Mainzer. But one of the things that uh, drew me in early on to the project was something that Sona said in one of our early meetings. 
that as a clinician who, who works with actual live humans, uh, she has a really good sense through her work that there are environmental factors that affect perinatal health. But she and her team work in uh, clinics and labs, and there are certain skills and knowledge and data that work really well at that scale. Now, my I would tend to work at the opposite end of the spectrum, where I'm looking at county or state or national databases, but rarely with, with real humans. And so while we know there are interactions among uh, humans and animals and places, it seems as though there's a really big gap between those scales where there's lots of unseen things that could be that could be happening, which is why our our team of investigators here is such a diverse group coming from so many different disciplinary backgrounds. And we, we are supported by our technical advisory committee, who is composed of colleagues from comparative medicine and anthropology and family and community medicine and the veterinary medical animal sciences and geography. Um, and the role of this diverse group is to help us navigate that messy space in between uh, humans and the environment where we expect to see interactions among these different kinds of social and environmental factors. In the project title, the word reconciling shows up. Could you explain how that is connected to this work and clarify what reconciling means for this project? Sure. Uh, reconciling is such a, such a great word for, for this effort. Here's Stephen again. It was uh, Leanne's addition to our proposal that really is, illustrates how we're trying to come together as she just said a few minutes ago, to think about things together under this, this common goal of informing human health. Uh, now, on, on one hand, we have a pretty good idea of what some of the indicators of perinatal health might be and things that we should be recording and looking at. And we're also building a foundation of social and demographic characteristics, such as population, age, race, ethnicity, gender, et cetera. Um, and we're gathering the basic landscape characteristics that Justin spoke about a few minutes ago, um, and that things that are available at the statewide level, land cover and urban rural classification. And we totally expect to see relationships among all that. So we think we have a good foundation to start with. But on the other hand, there's a whole lot of things we have to learn about to make this group work. You know, the first of which is simply learning how to talk to each other. You know, we're learning that concepts and definitions are going to differ across disciplinary fields. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking in the last couple of meetings about how perinatal health means something different when you're talking about humans and animals. The indicators that you might look at um, are, could, be, could be really quite different. So even when we think we're speaking the same language, sometimes we're, we're talking across each other's. And so we're trying to figure out how do we all have conversations in the same space. Also, the scales and the types of data that uh, are associated with these concepts differ dramatically across disciplinary fields. And so in that sense, the, the reconciliation process is about trying to find a holistic, cohesive story to tell mm. among all these different perspectives. So we've touched on this, especially with the complexity of One Health about having an interdisciplinary team, but I wonder if, if you have any expansion or anything you'd like to add about how having an interdisciplinary team really helped you find success. Sure. So, you know, traditionally in universities, we are 
trained in disciplinary silos. Here's Lee Ann again. We get a degree and a certain major specialization and we take classes to support that degree. When you have, you know, medical schools, veterinary schools, and, and those who work in the environment, they're actually physically located in different locations. So we often don't cross paths. Um, so this, you know, the stylization was, was made for a reason. It's helpful to gain specialized skills within one area of knowledge, but it really, as we're all pointing out, it just doesn't allow us to creatively address the complexity of the real world systemic problems that we have going on here. Um, so having an interdisciplinary team in, in our particular project, but also in One Health in general, is critical to understanding the nuances of how the humans and the animals and the environment are all linked. We I, I am constantly taking notes during our meetings of, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You know, it's, it's like almost every five minutes. And it's because I haven't been trained in the way um, sure. to look at a problem in, in that light. And, and so having all of this, you know, we talk about diversity all the time, having this diversity of thought, diversity of training, diversity of perspectives, that breeds innovation. Um, and so we are able to tackle problems from different angles, from having a team that approaches things from different angles. We actually, we started this uh, Penn State One Health group and uh, the One Health Scholars Program to facilitate these interdisciplinary collaborations here at Penn State, recognizing that we do have barriers within our university. We are siloed and it's actually quite difficult to work across uh, colleges, campuses um, for for sometimes re very real reasons and sometimes very artificial reasons. So we're trying hard to break through those boundaries um, within the context of this pilot project. What do you hope your project will achieve? Well, I, I think, you know, we have multiple layers of, of goals. Here's Justin again. The specific focus of the project is really exciting. I think there's some really good work that can be done um, both on the hum human and animal side of things, looking at, at reproductive health and specifically perinatal health. Um, but I think even beyond that, you know, when you look at One Health, we often... I think it's it's not a hard sell among health organizations, and and we see most major state, federal, you know, global health organizations recognizing the importance and giving support to the importance of of One Health. And oftentimes, you know, you'll when you start to develop these One Health movements, uh, you'll start to get these small groups. You'll come up with a mission statement. Maybe you have some general thoughts on it, and then when you try and implement it. It, it gets really hard. And, and as Stephen said, you know, it gets messy in the early parts where you're trying to speak the same language and learn from each other. I, I can't believe that after 15 years, I still struggle with trying to figure out what the definition of, of health is, but, but <laughs> part of the process, you know, and I think in the end, it gets you to where you want to go. Um, and so I think even as far as beyond just looking at reproductive health, I think one of our hopes is that it creates sort of this scaffolding or network that we can use to move forward with other other issues. You know, we're looking at reproductive health. Maybe we move on to environmental contaminants or maybe we move on to infectious diseases next. And so one of the real pillars of One Health is creating relationships and networks and communication. And I think that is is probably one of the, the primary goals of, of this whole project. What are next steps and or future plans when it comes to this project? Anything you'd like to discuss or can discuss at this point? We're at the beginning stages of this project. Here's Lee Ann again. So the exciting thing is that it's exploratory. So there, as Justin mentioned, there, there's a lot that can 
be unraveled while we're investigating One Health within Pennsylvania, One Health within our disciplines, uh, how to collaborate together. It's it's all quite exciting. We're we're at the beginning stages here, so we're allowing ourselves to be open. We'd love to continue each year having continuing the One Health Scholars Program, continuing having an applied project so we all can work in a very tangible way towards working together and also coming up with solutions, um, recognizing the barriers and, and getting one step closer to kind of filling those barriers. But the cool thing about One Health is it really it really is expansive. So we're, we're pretty excited to see where it's headed. Thank you for having a good discussion on One Health on Growing Impact. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Likewise, thanks so much. You've been listening to Growing Impact, a podcast by the Institutes of Energy and the Environment at Penn State. I've been your host, Kevin Sliman. This has been season two, episode seven. Thank you for listening.